It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Our first guest on the line with us today, Congressman Keith Self, currently serving his first term in Congress as the representative of the 3rd District of Texas. For folks who don't know him, uh, Keith was born in a military hospital during his father's service in the United States Army. He then went on to uh, graduate from West Point. Uh, and began a 25-year career of service, and that's part of the reason we want to have him on today. He's made, recently made a visit to Ukraine and has some kind of unique insights we think you all would enjoy hearing. So, Congressman Keith Self, thank you and welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Congressman, so you were out in Ukraine. What did you see that you don't think people are understanding about Ukraine? Well, we uh, we stopped first at the Munich Security Conference in uh, in Munich, of course. Then we went to Poland to see uh, some remote maintenance there. Uh, then we went into Ukraine. So we took the overnight train into Kiev. Uh, we met with uh, the president. We met with uh, some some of their parliamentarians. Uh, and then we made a trip to Bucha. Now Bucha is where the Russian war crimes were committed. Uh, very sobering pictures, ter- horrific pictures, actually, of the uh, of the war crimes that were committed in Bucha. And I don't think many people uh, understand just how brutal the, some of the fighting is uh, to include the war crimes that were committed. So I, I think that's the thing that I would uh, w- would like to highlight. One of the things I've heard, Congressman, and, and maybe you can tell us whether this is really going on or not, is that the Russians are very deliberately now targeting medics, and they're targeting the, the people that are responding to, to extract wounded people off the battlefield with timed follow-up attacks. Well, I've not uh, heard that particular, but that makes sense, because that's an old and uh, dishonored uh, tradition in some militaries to uh, actually wound people and then target the people that come after them, uh, because that takes out more than one person. Uh, so it's uh, that is a very dishonorable uh, practice that is not new. Uh, I believe it. I, I I have not heard that, but I can believe that that uh, that might be happening. What did you think about President Zelensky? Um, I know some on our party, um, a small group. Um, you know, they're just very hesitant about this conflict. Sam and I believe you just can't let Russia go take over a country. It's just it's just not good for anything in the world. What are your opinions after meeting him, shaking his hand, looking him in the eyes? Well, uh, he's very sober. Our meeting with him was very sober. I don't know what most people's impressions are, but uh, we spent a lot of time with him. We actually preempted his next meeting uh, because it went so long, uh, talking to him about his priorities, talking to him about specific weapons systems, uh, what they need to do. But your last point was very important. Because I I spent a large part of my military life as a military uh, planner. And uh, uh, starting back in, uh, I planned 1004 against Iran uh, uh, decades ago. But uh, I have to tell you, I think China is already a major player in this. The belligerents on the battlefield are Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Obviously, that uh, the West, led by the U.S., is, is supporting Ukraine now. And but I, China is giving Russia non-lethal support, but they're talking about lethal support. Uh, so there's a couple of issues with China. One is they are watching this very carefully to see how the West does, and maybe even develop their strategy based on our response to this war. But two, becoming an active uh, uh, provider of lethal support to Russia would be another step forward for China. So I am very concerned about this war because what it might lead to 
uh, worldwide in the geopolitical uh, realm. Yeah, con- Congressman, I mean, what you're talking about is potentially, the, uh, obviously, we've heard Zelensky very recently call and and say that it's, you know, he sees the, the distinct possibility that you will end up with American troops on the ground in Ukraine at some point, um, or at least he would like to. Um, we're skirting with a real world war at that point, especially if China is directly engaging uh, and providing lethal help and, and that sort of thing. I mean, how much... How much consideration of that do you know is going into the decision-making in Washington right now? There is no consideration, and I will not support American troops on the ground in Ukraine. That is not uh, my intention. That's not my hope. Uh, in fact, it, I, will, I will be against that from the beginning. We want to keep this war on the battlefield it's on now, between the belligerents it's on. And I will tell you, I don't think that's in, in Putin's mind either. Uh, and it, but it is certainly in the mind of the Eastern European allies. Uh, the three Baltic states are absolutely terrified right now. You saw that Sweden and Finland ran for NATO cover as soon as the, this invasion happened. Uh, Poland is all in. I mean, their people are all in, their military is all in, their politicos are all in. So the Eastern European uh, uh, border states there uh, understand how serious this is. But I don't think Putin wants a war with NATO, uh, because if he attacks Poland, and they've made that threat, if he attacks Poland or the Baltics, then that, uh, that brings Article 5 into play, and that's a NATO war. He does not want that, I don't think, because he's already, his military has already showed uh, that they are not ready for prime time. Where, if you know, are Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia in this? I mean, what are they thinking, and, and what's, what are their concerns right now? They're terrified. Uh, you talk about three small states that are on the front lines. They're up around four or five or even more percentage points of their GDP in defense spending today. Uh, they, are re- they are arming as fast as they can, uh, and they are, they are very, very concerned. Um, so that's, that's where they are. They are, they are concerned about themselves uh, and, and Russia trying to take uh, those three small nations uh, next. It seems, what is Putin's end game at this point? Because it seems highly unlikely they're going to be able to finish the conquest of Ukraine. It just doesn't a, seem a, to be in the cards. That's, that's a great question, because this war will end, all wars end, and that's the question. It's because he's not going to uh, conquer all of Ukraine. He's just not. So then you have to start thinking, what happens at the end of the war? Because they're still going to be neighbors. They're still going to have a long border. Uh, what does that look like? Will uh, he be allowed through negotiations to keep part of Ukraine? Or will Ukraine be able to reclaim all of their land? No one knows at this point. Um, so, I mean, that, that is a great question. What does Europe look like at the end of this war? And nobody knows right now. But again, War's in. Putin is not going to uh, achieve his his strategic goal of of defeating Ukraine proper. Um, let's switch topics since we're on all these sunshine topics. Let's talk about fentanyl for a minute. So, in, as of August 20, 2022, there were one hundred seven thousand deaths due to drug overdose, and two thirds of those were caused by fentanyl. <sighs> You know, and I think this is the one frustration um, with those in the conservative branch of the party that, yes, okay, we need to be doing what we're doing in Ukraine. Why aren't we, why is not this presidency putting the same amount of effort in making sure our border is secure and we're stopping these drugs from coming into the country? Because that's their policy. That is the national policy of the Biden administration. Uh, He changed the national policy with a stroke of a pen on day one. He opened the border. This is by policy. Uh, We conservatives look at it and say it's a failure. Uh, The the administration looks at it and says it's going exactly as we planned. So discontent, so so distrust, uh, so lawlessness. And uh, hopefully that will lead to greater government control over every aspect of our life. 
Plus, all these people may become Democrat voters, uh, given the short memories of Americans here in five, seven, ten years, whatever. What What do you think? Is it that they just don't care or are they just dumb? I mean, you know, you basically have one American overdosing every five minutes. It's costing our economy $1.5 annually. What are they not understanding? It's the second leading cause of death in America. I mean, COVID's around. It's just what are, what are they not getting about this? I have no idea. That's a great question. When you're killing a large airliner number of people every single day with opioid overdoses, what don't they get? What don't they understand? I have no idea. Uh, We only lost 55,000 soldiers in Vietnam. We lost 107,000 in the last year's numbers. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. Congressman, one of the things we had a guest, the attorney general of Montana, Austin Knudsen, on the program uh, some time ago. One of the things I think people are underestimating is the the wave of suffering that comes from all these fentanyl overdoses. He pointed out that their foster care system is being overwhelmed by fentanyl orphans and by people who are ending up, you know, just just disappearing onto the streets because of this. There are huge consequences for parts of our society that people don't seem to understand are being affected. Well, every every person that either becomes a drug addict or overdoses and dies leaves leaves a string of suffering around him or her. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There's only been one major country that has ever solved a major drug problem. It was China back in I think the mid 1800s or something. They solved their drug problem. Uh, now, they were brutal about it, but they solved their drug problem. But we have a major drug problem in uh, in America today uh, just by the numbers of deaths. And that's just the numbers of deaths. How many other people are being impacted by it? And you haven't even mentioned the open border sex trafficking, uh, the indentured servanthood that comes from the open border. I mean, there are consequences on the border because of the open border well beyond the fentanyl. Yeah, absolutely. We have just about a minute left here before we go to break. Then we're going to be coming right back with more from Congressman Keith Self of the 3rd District of Texas. Uh, Congressman, before we go to break here, how do folks follow you and your work and stay in touch with uh, all the things that you're trying to do for the state of Texas and this country? Well, thanks for the opportunity. They can go to keithself.house.gov and sign up for my newsletter. I won't flood their inbox. Uh, but we do tell them what we're doing, or they can follow me at at uh, at Rep Keith Self at Rep Keith Self. Either way uh, works. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and those folks, those newsletters are a fantastic opportunity to get insights into Congress members from across the country, senators. Also, highly, highly encourage you to go there and sign up. Uh, we are going to be coming back with more in just a moment. For Breaking Battlegrounds, this is Sam Stone with Chuck Warren. Back in a few moments. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Folks, make sure you go to BreakingBattlegrounds.vote. You can download all of our episodes there. And we're back with more from Congressman Keith Self of the 3rd District of Texas. Congressman, we are – everybody's a border state now. Sam and I taped this show out of Phoenix, so we are well aware of you know, what this causes regarding taxpayer sources, um, the lives of people, and so forth. But in Texas – you know, you're spending $717 million annually on medical care for illegal aliens, $152 million to house criminal illegal aliens in prisons, $63 million on education for these unaccompanied children. I mean, look, we're Americans. We're just not going to let them rot, right? But this is really becoming a difficult task for local and county and state governments. What do you think needs to be done? to secure the border and just stop this human suffering and the, and the exhaustion of taxpayer resources? Well, the first thing is to change the national policy that we talked about before. 
uh, people know it's open. They know they're going to get across the border and they're going to be taken care of all the ways that you just mentioned. Uh, so the first thing is to change the policy and start enforcing the laws on the books today. Uh, give the Border Patrol the resources they need. That's the simplest thing to do is just change the policy and start enforcing the law. Then we need to build a wall uh, because walls work. They don't have to be perfect. Don't be led down the red herring of a wall has to be perfect. It has to be good. It has to stop. And the, po- the policy and the wall would do a great deal of uh, 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 stopping what's happening. Uh, then in Congress, we've got something that uh, all but one – Texas Republican congressman or woman has uh, endorsed, which is the Texas border plan. And we negotiated in the first week in office that it will be heard on the floor of the House at some point uh, this year. Uh, Then I'm working on uh, trying to see if we can use El Chapo's $12 billion that we have sequestered, if we can use that $12 billion to build the wall down there. Uh, That would be uh, something that I could support. Best Um, use of that money in its history. Absolutely. Uh, Better than uh, use those ill-gotten gains for something useful. And then my last point would be we need to really get past this idea that uh, we can't use the military because of posse comitatus. The posse comitatus says that you can't use the military for internal police action. But securing our border, our international border, is not internal police actions. It is our military securing our sovereign nation. Uh, so I think we ought to have a discussion on posse comitatus and using the military on the border. Uh, but that's what gets thrown in our face is posse comitatus. Congressman, I'm going to throw out something else because you brought up the example of, of China in their war on opium uh, many, many years ago. But one of the things that I think is missing from our drug policy is some sort of actual repercussions for the drug users. You can target the – and I'm not talking about jail, but maybe it's maybe – it's, um, community service programs that were really make it inconvenient to be a drug user in you know and and try to benefit society along the way because I don't know how you stop this problem with such an enormous profit incentive just from the supply side. Uh, it's a good point. I I would be uh, willing to have the discussion. I don't know what that would be. Um, I don't I don't know where we would go with that, but I'm certainly willing because it's kind of like military service. I think that everybody ought to have some sort of national service. Uh, so I think your idea merits discussion, and I'd certainly be willing to include it. Yeah, sorry, I, I throw these things at, at folks sometimes and, you know, straight out of left field. But it's just one of those problems that here in Arizona, at least, and, and I'm sure from your perspective in Texas, uh, you're dealing with organizations that make an enormous amount of money and don't really care if they lose their the people that they're using as mules and traffickers. Those are just casualties of the system along the way to them. Yeah, absolutely. But I will point out that uh, apparently the sex trade coming across the border is now more lucrative than the drug trade. Let that sink in. That's horrifying. Yeah, um, absolutely. Asa, Asa Hutchison believe the U.S. should designate the drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. You, as a former military planner, how would that work if we did that? What does that mean? Well, that means that we could go after their money wherever it is. And we know how to do this. Uh, first of all, I agree with, uh, with the, the concept. We need to do that immediately. Uh, but what that means, uh, aside from, and people think that we're going to attack into Mexico because of that. We wouldn't have to do that. What that allows us to do is to go after their money wherever it is in the world. We know how to do this because we've been doing it for 20 years with the terrorist organization. Uh, So once you designate uh, them that, then you can go find their money and take it uh, and and simply uh, stop all of this profit that they're making uh, as soon as we can find it and run it down. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you you bring up the the issue with posse comitatus. I agree that has been totally misinterpreted because if it was interpreted the way these folks are are, are pretending it is, we wouldn't have been able to fight the War of eighteen twelve. I mean, <laughs> that's right. I that that's really kind of a, a silly statement. And we do have a history, quite frankly, successfully of helping uh, Colombia battle off their cartels during the Pablo Escobar era. So this isn't unprecedented in any way, is it? No, it's not. No, it's. But again, it's national policy. We've got to. This this is why the executive branch is so important. Uh, the legislative branch, Congress, can pass all the laws it wants, but if the 
uh, if the executive branch changes the national policy with a stroke of a pen, uh, we then have to get into very detailed bills in the next budget cycle uh, or fence their money now to force them to change. We can't fence their money temporarily, even authorized and appropriated funds. Uh, we could fence, it, uh, fence their money, but uh, I'm not sure there's a willingness to do that uh, for this issue. Yet it seems like this is really just all about political will, and there's a, a desperate drive on the left to conflate immigration with border security, and they really are two entirely separate issues, or should be, right? Oh, yeah. If you're talking legal immigration, there, there's no doubt we need legal immigration uh, uh, reform. Uh, but remember, Ronald Reagan uh, kind of got led into this trap back in 1986. He agreed to limited amnesty in exchange for the border closing. Well, they got the limited amnesty, but the border didn't close. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, that's a lesson that I learned that I'm not going to be led to, into the same trap. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Congressman, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on the program. We would love to have you back again in the future uh, and keep up the good work. We, we appreciate the fight you're in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Well, folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market, a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises? You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. Uh, This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. And by investing, you can actually do good. You're helping people pay off their student loans. So, folks, call Y-Refi at 888-Y-Refi24 or go on to the website at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or, again, call them at 888-Y-Refi24 and make sure that you tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Breaking Battlegrounds is going to be coming back in just a moment with more. We have uh, Congressman Eli Crane of Arizona joining us next, so be sure you stay tuned for that. And again, folks, if you're not already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We have a nice little extra segment for you with every show. Breaking Battlegrounds, back in just a moment. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new, on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor cost less. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line with us next, Congressman Eli Crane in his first term in Congress, representing Arizona's 2nd District. Congressman, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Congressman, um, what has surprised you being in Congress? You've been there now a little over two months. What has been the biggest surprise to you? You know, this is kind of sad, but I think the biggest surprise to me, um, there's, it's been twofold. It's been, you know, watching people that I know and, uh, you know, campaign as uh, conservatives, fiscal conservatives, talk about the debt problems in Washington, D.C., and then um, behind closed doors, watch those same individuals refuse to do anything about, um, you know, the spending issues that we have or cutting spending. That's been one of them. And then also uh, it's been watching uh, media personalities, conservative media personalities that I've heard um, rant and, you know, go after the establishment in the swamp for years. And then uh, when Republicans actually fight against the swamp, uh, not only did they not provide us any air cover, but they were dropping bombs on us. So, you know, that's always disappointing, but I guess, uh, you know, should be expected. So let's talk about the debt. We have a debt ceiling coming up um, here um, this early this summer. Um, Senator Joe yep. Manchin yesterday made the following comment. My Democratic friends don't want to say a word about our out-of-control spending and our outright refusing to even talk to Republicans about reasonable and responsible reforms. 
We're going to pay our debts. We have to pay our sins of the past. But can't we at least sit down and discuss? discuss? Can we even talk about that and see if there's a pathway forward? What do you think is a pathway forward? I mean, at the end of the day, $31 trillion in debt has to be paid. How do we do it? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. And it is a it is a very big hole, you know, hole that we've gotten ourselves into. But I'll just give you one example. Um, And you have to start saying no. You have to be willing to cut things. And sometimes you you're going to have to cut things that might not even, you know, might not even be horrible programs. But, you know, it's just like when, you know, if you or I got ourselves into personal financial trouble or debt. You know, uh, if you guys have ever listened to Dave Ramsey, you know, Dave Ramsey, you know, coach, you know, coaches people and talks them through, um, you know, getting into debt and how to get out of it. And you'll often hear him tell individuals that call into his show, hey, you better never see the you better not see the inside of a restaurant for the next year. There's nothing bad about going into a restaurant. But if you've gotten yourself into massive amounts of debt, you have to make cuts. And this country is going to have to do the same if we're ever going to get out of debt. And so one of the things that many of us, 51 of us in the House, tried to do um, in conference before even uh, we had the speaker vote uh, was we tried to eliminate earmarks because earmarks, you know, though they can be a good thing and they can be used for good community projects are often used for support and special interest and things that the American people, most American people would never vote on um, to begin with. And so we tried to get rid of earmarks, and 51 of us in the Republican conference voted to get rid of them. Um, And that's not to say forever, but while we're in this kind of debt, we need to start making cutbacks to spending. And the vast majority of our conference would not do it. And uh, go ahead. Uh, Congressman, we have just a couple of minutes before we go to break here, but uh, that actually brings us back to a point because you took a lot of flack, a lot of heat as a freshman congressman holding out uh, on the speaker's vote. But that yeah. that action has made an enormous difference in how this current Congress is functioning and its ability to fight for the things conservatives are asking it to fight for, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you've got a specific question, I'll, I'll answer it. But yeah, I did take a lot of flack. And that's one of the things that I told you was one of the most disturbing thing in watching people that I had watched in the media for years rant and rave about, you know, how bad the establishment in the swamp was. And when Republicans were actually trying to push the, this conference back towards, you know, our conservative, you know, constitutional roots and, uh, you know, fight for single subject, germane legislation, um, try to bring back the motion to vacate, which would hold any speaker, you know, accountable, um, You know, and Nancy Pelosi was the one that actually got rid of that. And then we didn't want to bring it back. You know, so, yes, to your point, that fight was about a lot more than Kevin McCarthy. It was about taking power away from centralized, top down leadership and trying to restore more of it to the individual members of the House and therefore thereby giving it back to the people of this country where it's supposed to be. Yeah, fantastic. We're going to be going to break here in just a moment, but we're coming back with more from Eli Crane of Arizona's 2nd Congressional District. Congressman, thank you for joining us today. Folks, stay tuned and make sure if you aren't already, you're downloading the podcast at breakingbattlegrounds.vote. More in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Uh, Folks, if you're concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office, and if you're not, you certainly should be, you need to check out investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI24. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return on a secure, collateralized portfolio. This is a great way to protect your income. And talk to them about options for your IRA. You can even earn that money tax-deferred. So fantastic opportunity there. Remember, it's invest, then the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI24, and make sure you tell them that Chuck and Sam sent you. 
Uh, now back to the program with more from Congressman Eli Crane. Congressman, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Congressman Crane, um, you are on a veterans committee. What do you think yep. Congress and this nation should be doing differently for our veterans? Well, you know, obviously, you know, our veterans, you know, need a lot of support because of the sacrifices they've made, you know, for this country. But I also think that um, we need to we need to really be careful about how we're spending money. And, uh, you know, that 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 doesn't exclude some of you know the monies paid out to some of these uh, veteran service organizations. Um, and so we're going to be going, you know, we're going to be going through some of the funding seeing if we could do a better job in supporting, you know, our veterans um, and uh, looking at more, uh, I would say, you know, cutting edge technologies and services that might give them better services than what they actually have now at a cheaper price. Uh, but one of the one of the things that I want to specifically look at is um, giving or looking at reinstating some of our veterans who were forced out of the military because of you know, COVID and also reinstating some of their benefits that many of them have lost um, because of uh, what went on um, during COVID-19. You know, we've talked to a lot of folks in Congress. Uh, you're the first one to really break that point up. And thank you for doing that, because I personally know service members who are separated from service against their will at that time. I think that's a really critical point. But I want to go back to another point you were you're just making, cutting and getting serious about our debt crisis means cutting some things that maybe Republicans like too, right? We have to compromise. We can't just say it's the other side stuff that gets cut. No, you're absolutely right. And on your first point, you know, my little brother was went to the Naval Academy, then went and flew helicopters in the Marine Corps. He flew attack helicopters, the Cobras, and then he was he was forced out at 19 years and eight months four months shy of his retirement because he would not take the COVID vaccine. And I think he made a great choice in not taking it. And I think we're seeing, you know, all sorts of side effects, injuries, et cetera. We see cover-ups on what's going on with that. And so I think there are many of us who are going to try really hard to make sure that my little brother and other veterans just like him get the benefits that they deserve. But here's the thing, guys. I, I sit in meetings all day long, whether I'm sitting in meetings and we're talking about um, we're talking about the, our border issues or veterans affairs or small business or education or the Second Amendment, whatever it is. We never have groups come in and say to us, you know, um, we we just we're getting too much money. We, we need you guys to really rein in and uh, cut some of the spending. <laughs> we, we all, the only thing we ever hear is the exact opposite. And meanwhile, in the back of your mind, you know that we've got over $31 trillion in debt in this country and no appetite up there in that town, you know, to cut any of it because it feels so good to say yes. And that's that's what everybody wants to hear from you. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, if enough of us aren't courageous and willing to actually, you know, actually look at some of these some of these things. Um, that we're spending money on and look at look and see if there's actually better, more effective, um, um, less costly ways to do them, then we're never going to get out of this hole. And so, yes, and that, that includes with, with Veterans Affairs and a lot of people. There's a there's a few things in this country that seem to be untouchable because nobody wants to offend anybody. And we definitely don't want you know, we don't especially want to offend our veterans. Right. Well, I can tell you as one, somebody that joined the Navy after 9-11, we have to look there as well because there is, you know, there is fraud, waste and abuse all over this government. And, you know, how we spend money in that department, you know, there's plenty of it in there, too. So we have to be courageous and we have to look at those things. So the U.S. government in 2022 brought in almost five trillion dollars. OK, I mean, yep. when Trump when Trump was when Trump was elected or in 2017 it was like three point three trillion. So, you know, we, we've gone over almost two trillion new dollars in tax revenue. Do you think being there and looking at the budgets you're seeing that if we really went and did a cross the board cut of, say, five percent? Would people if it's done right, would people notice any difference in services? 
if it's done right, I I don't know that they would notice a difference because I think that I think that there are ways I think that there are ways that not only could you cut spending, but you could also offer better services like, um, you know, in the private sector. Or let's just say let's just say all the money we're sending to Ukraine right now. Right now, obviously, that's, you know, can be a polarizing issue. There's Republicans and Democrats, bipartisan support for that type that money that's going overseas. I don't think we should be sending that money overseas. And it has nothing to do with the, the fact that I don't have any compassion for Ukrainians, because I most certainly do. My argument is this. I'm an America first candidate. We're $31 trillion in debt. We can no longer, this paradigm that we are the world's global police has to come to an end. Why? Because one, we can't afford it. Two, I don't think we have the leaders in place to do it, even if we could afford it. I mean, keep in mind, this is the same administration that pulled us out of Afghanistan. You know, so we're pushing towards World War III in Russia. We've spent over, you know, $100 billion in Ukraine that we don't even have, that we're printing money. And that's just one example right there. I could give you example after example after example of money that we're spending that I don't think many of the American people who actually, you know, send their tax dollars to, you know, Washington, D.C. would approve of. And I don't think it's being responsible uh, with their with their money. Congressman, I'm going I'm to throw out something that I don't think it's talked about in Washington enough, but I've seen it up close here in the city of Phoenix, local government, the state government, and the, the federal agencies we interact with. They are not overbloated with people on the actual service delivery end. They're bloated with middle and upper middle management. And everyone always says you can't fire government workers. Why aren't we looking at just shifting a lot of these office people into actual field service roles? Maybe a few of them quit, but at least regardless, they'd be contributing something productive instead of just uh, sitting around finding ways to create more of them themselves and, and replicate more bureaucracy. Well, the the problem is, is I think that you're looking at it through the lens of common sense and rationale when the government, both often at the state and the federal le- level, they look at they look at things through the lens of power, control, and retention, holding on to it. And the more people that they can get on the the government seat, if you will, the more people that they can insulate them, you know, the, their operation with it tends to be better for them in retention and holding on to those, you know, those dollars and that power and that control. And it really doesn't behoove them. Like, let me give you an example. When I was in the military, um, you know, we, I was in the SEAL teams and we used to regularly have individuals in leadership come into the platoon space and say, Hey guys, um, it's the end of the quarter. Uh, we, I need you to get me a list of, you know, whatever shoes and sunglasses and jackets and, you know, whatever non- knives, whatever nonsense you guys want, because we haven't spent all of our budget. And if we don't, if we don't spend it, we're not going to get it next time. So the government typically doesn't look at, you know, budget and, you know, management and personnel in the same way that a, biz- a private business would, because it doesn't have to. I, I, and it I, is I, Go ahead. Uh, you're making me laugh because I had a friend who who ran one of the uh, A-10 squadrons at Davis Monthan, and he was talking about the same thing. They got to the end of their budget year, and they had a bunch of unspent money. And so he was told, uh, you know, by by his leadership, go out and find it. So he bought a bunch of computers, right? And then they boxed up the old ones, didn't know what to do with them. And someone said, oh, you just put them in the warehouse with the others. So he goes and they have an entire warehouse full of computers that have been bought over, you know, 20 years. Most of them still brand new in their boxes. Uh, You know, IBMs from 1988. Uh, Just ridiculous. No, you're, you're exactly right. And so when I talk about cutting spending, it starts with, you know, and if you if you even say that what I said on this show to open up and I start started talking about looking into budgets of things that we hold dear and sacred, right? Like taking care of our veterans. If you start talking about that, what 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 type of commercials do you think they're going to run against Eli Train oh, cycle? It's yeah, well, you, you you hate you hate veterans. I hate veterans. Hate I don't want to take care of them. And and you know and and it's like or whether it's law enforcement 
or or whatever it is. And that's why a lot of individuals who run for these seats won't talk about anything and they just regurgitate the same talking points. Oh, we got to take care. We got to take care of these people and we got to give them whatever they want. And we can't ask any tough questions. And we can't look at where the sausage is made. We can't look in that warehouse to see if there's computers stacked up on that shelf for the last 20 years because we got to take care of, you know, we got to take care of our war fighters, right? And you hear it over and over and over again. And again, we're $31 trillion in debt. Nobody has an appetite, you know, to cut spending and nobody has an appetite to ask the tough questions. And it's, it's very alarming, especially for those of us that are parents and want our kids to be able to buy a house one day or a car or, you know, not, you know, try and operate in an economy that has, you know, inflation and rising interest rates and everything that we're seeing going on right now because of irresponsibility. We have about two and a half minutes left um, with your time. What do you think we should be doing about the cartels who are really causing chaos at the border, not only with fentanyl, but with human trafficking? What, What should be done? Well, we used to have a saying in the SEAL teams, and the saying was crawl, walk, run. Okay, so that the first thing I think that we need to do is we need to re- reinforce our borders, right? We need to bring back policy um, that actually works. And uh, I think we saw that under, you know, some of that under the Trump years. I'd like to start there. And then I'd like to, you know, see some of the same, you know, some of the same um policy where we get tough with our neighbors from the south and basically say hey if you guys don't help us out with this problem there's going to be repercussions i think you also saw that with president trump and i know that not everybody loves president trump look i get it but i'm gonna call i'm gonna say you know i'm gonna say i saw i saw him do some things that were very effective because he often functioned as a businessman and not a politician and so you have to get tough with those folks. Just like it's just like dealing with the cartels is kind of like dealing with terrorists. They only speak one language. They don't, you know. They you you're not gonna you're not gonna love them to death. You know, you know, you're gonna have to be tough with them. And that's, you know, I, I mean, I know that sounds, you know, cliche, but it's the it's the only way to operate with those folks. I I know I've seen some of my colleagues, you know, talk about hey, um, designating them as you know, terrorist organizations, you know, I, I would be open to considering that. I think one of the, one of the concerns is people are already weary of an overreaching government. And then they, they don't want to see, um, they don't want to see a government who's designated these cartels as terrorist organizations, then start to, you know, um, weaponize and, and turn, um, their, their probes or their attacks into the United States. So, I think that's something that you could absolutely look at, but crawl, walk, run, floor up that southern border and bring back some of the policies, you know, that we saw working under President Trump. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Congressman Eli Crane of Arizona. Eli, how do folks stay in touch with you and your work going forward? Uh, Guys, you, you can follow me on social media at Rep Eli Crane. Fantastic, folks. At Rep Eli Crane, make sure you follow him. He's bringing good common sense. Uh, to Congress. We need more of that. Breaking Battlegrounds will be back on the air next week, but make sure you tune in for the podcast-only segment at breakingbattlegrounds.vote. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast only segment of Breaking Battlegrounds. Folks, we're going to start with a little clip that has me hot under the collar. Go ahead, Jeremy. There was a moment when we were very unclear about whether domestic pets or not could, could transmit the disease. In fact, there was an idea at one moment that we may have to ask the public to exterminate all the cats in Britain. Can you imagine what would have happened if we had wanted to do that? And yet there was, for a moment, a little bit of evidence about that. So that had to be investigated and closed down. Yeah, that... That That is just insanity. I mean, it shows you how ridiculous, Chuck, that everything got around COVID with our governments around this world. They lost their minds. Well, it sounds like a plan that a bunch of dogs put together. <laughs> <laughs> Had a ghost-written memo and sent. I, I think... Well, it's like the Cruella de Vil plan for COVID. 
you and I have always taken, I feel, a very reasonable approach to COVID. It was real. Um, people got sick from it. Sure. And I think you know, in the first month, I think a lot of public officials, because people are screaming for it, were in the fog of war. But as time came on, they knew a lot of this didn't work. And, you know, I, and I, I, you know, for example, they still are captured by this fear. I mean, I got today when I fly international long trip and it's expensive, I buy travel insurance. Today, they sent a whole email about COVID that we're going to cover COVID now. And it just it comes to a point you're wondering when this insanity is going to stop and they are actually going to follow the science. Well, yes, absolutely. But going back to your statement about the fog of war, here's the thing. You do not want generals who get confused and turned around in the fog of war. I mean, that's everyone who was. I I understand the fear. I get it. But everyone who was should no longer be in a position of public health leadership. I agree 100 percent. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it just, you know, you, you failed that test. I, I've talked before about a situation we had with a police officer here in Phoenix. So I believe panicked and shot a uh, shot a, a citizen at their door. And, you know, that person might be suited for some duty in the police department, but not on the street anymore carrying a gun. Uh, these folks have a much bigger weapon. They have public policy and none of them who advocated for this kind of stuff should be allowed to remain in those positions. I agree 100 percent. Sam, let's talk a little bit. You've got um, a little over a week until your election. Yeah. How are things going? How are things going? Well, I mean, it's really a turnout battle right now. The numbers so far that are being turned in because ballots are already out there. If you've gotten a mail-in ballot, turn it around today. But um, uh, numbers are going to come down to who actually turns in their vote. I think this is a very close race. But it could end up being a 20-point blowout in either direction, just depending on who shows up. And right now, I mean, honestly, Chuck, I'm very worried about Republicans who have lost faith in the mail-in ballot system because historically that's like 99% of the ballots that will be be cast in this race. So, 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 Sam, so Sam, when you go out and you're talking to Republican voters in your city council district, how many of them have completely lost faith in – the mail-in ballot system. When I, when I'm talking to Republicans, it's a, it's a good third, and I have to to work with each one of them to get over that. And you know, look, it's really easy to find a reason not to go to the polls on election day, even during a normal November election. But when you're talking right. about a standalone election in the middle of March for one seat on a city council, I mean, that's really easy. And so, I don't think our side has thought enough about how. You know, this distrust that's been created in early ballots really harms our lower level candidates. I mean, and it's a huge impact in this race. Well, I think those who created this fear don't care. I mean, I'm a call it for what it is. I mean, they're doing it to feed their ego. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think <laughs> I think there's an ego element, but I also think there's an element of just not understanding um, the processes and the, the you know potential vulnerabilities, and I don't think Democrats have been right to just stonewall the issues with our elections by any means because there are issues. No, um, right, you know, but but at the end of the day, um, we we have a you know just clean your voter rolls. You're really not going to have any problem with with any kind of elections issue if you do that. Now Arizona has not, and we're we are seeing something interesting because we've now hand mailed over twenty five thousand letters out to voters. And I got to tell you, Chuck, um, there's a lot of duplicate registrations we're, we're encountering that are coming back. There's a lot of people who have moved out of state that those letters are coming back. So we're seeing that there is a huge rate of uh, ballots that are being sent out that people aren't there anymore to receive them. That's amazing. Um, as we finish up this podcast portion, um, this today, Alex Murdaugh, he was the disbarred South Carolina attorney who was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences for killing his wife and his son. Um, The judge, if anybody saw it, did a wonderful job. Um, And Judge Newman discussed the death penalty before he handled down a lesser sentence, said he was reflective that over the past century, your family, including you, have been prosecuting people here in this courtroom, and many have received the death penalty, probably for lesser conduct. 
<laughs> Kylie, did you find out why they did not have yeah, the death penalty? We're turning to our here. true crime reporter, Kylie Kipper, bringing the sunshine it's, today. Yeah, It's less than exciting. The simple answer is the state did not seek it. And that is an answer that only the attorney general can answer, which he has declined to answer. Why he did not. It wasn't even on the board. That's, so, so, folks, as you know, I, I'm a law and order conservative. Um, I support the death penalty. I can't understand what the reasoning would be for not pursuing the death penalty in this case. I mean, these, you know, in crime, they like to use the word heinous a lot. Mm -hmm. This was heinous. I mean, what he did, what the jury found him guilty of is just, there's no words for it. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it it is, that was brutal beyond imagination and it was clearly premeditated Mm -hmm. Um, the jury didn't have to deliberate very long. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that it's generally easier to get in conviction without the death pen- death penalty, and maybe that was a consideration. But quite frankly, uh, that element smacks of some sort of insider favor. Well, well, here's the other thing, too. I don't know if this is part of it. So I was watching, I believe, it's it Nancy Grace, the true crime person? Yeah. That's conversation. So she was... She was asked a question this morning, and the reporter asked, have you ever seen a trial where the jury despised a defendant so much? <laughs> and she said that was a great question. She hadn't thought of it, but her answer was no. They truly disliked the man. And I wonder almost if the prosecution thought this would be a, a cause for appeal because they were such known factors down there. There were a lot of animosity. I think as we close this, there was a comment here by the judge which I found so true in so many ways. He, um, as Murdoch was you know, being ready to take it off, he goes, I respect this court, but I am innocent. And then Judge Newman said, it might not have been you. It might have been the monster you became when you take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opiate pills. Oh. And I just thought that is such a, um, what an insightful comment by the judge. Yeah, it is. That that's he cut to the heart of of an issue that's changing all of America right now. But man, that is that is a a sharp comment. Absolutely. Well, folks, thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed both our congressional guests, and uh, we look forward to being back with you next week. Visit us at breakingbattlegrounds.vote and share it with your friends and family. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it.